we're, we're in a series, right? We're doing a series called Yes, She Can. And we're looking at eight courageous women who changed, sorry, transformed their world, right? Now, I want you to think about the women in your life that have helped to transform your world, all right? Think about who they were. They could have been a teacher at school. It could have been someone down that lived down the road. It could have been a mother. It could have been a grandmother. It could have been an auntie. It could have been one of those aunties that weren't aunties. I had like about 10 of those in my life. That they're just I called them auntie whatever, but they weren't really my auntie. Anyone else have aunties like that? Yeah. Think about the women that have helped to transform your world, you know, to, to, to help you, encourage you to be the person that you are today. All right. Think about those people. And I would guarantee you that not one of them was a prostitute. No. No, Am I right? Yet, out of all of the people in the Bible to use as an illustration of faith, James uses Abraham and Rahab. The writer of the Hebrews, in chapter 11, you see this chapter of people of great faith. It's called the Hall of Faith in Christian circles, right? Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. People that are stepped out on a limb in faith for God and transformed the world, right? Ordinary people that God has used in amazing ways. And this woman, Rahab, is mentioned as one of two women. Well, there's Deborah and Balak, but there's Sarah and there's Rahab. And out of eight, her name, her actual name is mentioned eight times in the Bible. And out of those eight, Five mentions are Rahab the harlot. Now, in the Bible, you see lots of characters that get a name change because of something great. You know, God's done something in their life, so he's changed their name. All right? So, like, for example, um, Jacob was Jacob, and then he became Israel because he had a wrestle with God and God changed his name, right? Um, Peter used to be called Simon, but then the Lord Jesus called him Peter because he's, he's a rock, you know, and it's a positive thing. But here we see this story that Four read out for us about this woman, Rahab. She was a harlot. She was a lady of the night. She was a prostitute, right? And yet she ends up giving her heart to the Lord, being part of God's people, and yet all the way through the Bible, Apart from a couple of places, she's still called Rahab the harlot. Now, you guys know Thomas, right? The disciple? What do we call him? Doubting Thomas. Good old Doubting Thomas. One-time people, right? He just doubted once. When I was a kid at school, I remember this really embarrassing situation in high school. I think I might have been like year 10. So I was trying to be really cool. And I forgot my lunch. My mum brought my lunch for me and gave it to me during lunchtime at school. I was super embarrassed, you know. But what if I got called Ian that forgot his lunch from that moment on for the rest of my life? You know, like I, whenever anyone heard about me, they go, oh, that's Ian that forgot his lunch. Now, that's a funny thing. But I want you to think about situations in your life that have been situations or, or times where you've been embarrassed that anyone was watching. You know, it could have been 
It could have been a sin that you committed, or it could have been some kind of situation you were in that was just really embarrassing, like, you know, your fly was down at, a, at an event or something like that. Imagine if you were called your name and whatever that situation was for the rest of your life. But yet we see the Lord uses this woman, Rahab, as an example for all of us. Now, you don't have to be a woman to, to, to get the example of this. And in fact, it's kind of difficult preaching about a prostitute to people that have never been prostitutes because we can't relate to that. But we can relate, I think, to some things that Rahab um, teaches us in this passage. And so we're just going to look at it really quickly. And to give you some context, we've got the Israelites, right? The children of Israel. They're not children, they're people, adults and children. But they're called the children of Israel because God's their father and he's leading them all the way from Egypt, all the way through to the promised land. And they've had to go through the Red Sea. He's part of that, right? So they've gone through. And now they've come to the Jordan River and Moses is not leading the Israelites anymore. It's Joshua. Okay. Now, Joshua, anyone know what the name Joshua means? Salvation comes from the Lord or God saves, right? The Lord saves. And there's three Joshuas in the Bible. There's this Joshua, who's the commander Joshua. He's an army, he's a he's leader, he's a commander. There's another Joshua, who's a priest, all right? And you can read about him in, I think, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. And you can also know about this other Joshua. We call him Jesus, but, he's, but he's, uh, he's, that's his Greek name, but his Hebrew name is Yeshua, all right? Yeshua. And here is another Yeshua leading the, leading the children of God into uh, Canaanite territory. Okay, Now they're about to enter into this promised land. And Joshua sends two spies in to a place called Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city in the world and still is. In fact, you can't live there anymore because it's just a, a, it's an archaeological dig. But they found this city, and the wall of this city, in fact, is two walls that are uh, uh, alongside each other. So there's an inner wall, which is built of bricks, and it's pretty thick. Then there's an outer wall that's built of rocks, and it's like five feet thick. And so it was a really, really strong wall. And people could live on this wall or in the wall. And this woman, Rahab, lived that way. In fact, she lived near the gate as well. And so anyway, Joshua sent these two spies in. Uh, and in verse 1 it says, Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. I'm so glad that the New Living Translation says Acacia Grove because the, the actual name of the place is Shittim. It's a long I, but sometimes people mispronounce it. And it sounds like a rude word in church. So I'm really glad that it's just called Acacia Grove in this translation. But I want you to turn to the person next to me and go, shh, it's a secret. Because <laughs> it is, it's a secret. Joshua secretly sent out two spies into the, from the Israelite camp into Jericho, right? To scout out the land. Now, backtrack a long time. This isn't the first time that God has called his children to go into the, this territory. In fact, Moses sent spies into this similar territory also, but he sent, how many spies did he send then? Two? Ten. All right. Now, 
out of 10 spies, eight came back with, we're not going to do this. They're big people there. We're, we're not going to overcome these people at all. It's terrifying. Let's not do it. It's, a, it's an unwise decision to do this. And two spies came back and said, well, the Lord can do it. Let's do it. Unfortunately, like last night, majority overrules. <laughs> and so the Israelites then don't go into that area. In fact, they start continually wandering around the desert, all right, trusting in God. And God would, God would reveal himself to them um, through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. His presence would go with them. He'd provide quail for them and manna for them. And he would take that on a day-by-day -day basis providing for their needs, right? And they learned this lesson. They were learning this lesson. But they, they came around to this place again near Moab Plains. And Moses hands over the baton to uh, jo Joshua. And Joshua now sends in some spies, right, into the land. And they go to this, uh, in, verse, <coughs> in verse 2, it says, but, uh, sorry, verse 1, it says, He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Who are God's people, two men that follow God, that honor God, that are part of his army, that serve God, they go into a brothel. What's going on there? It's a st strategic move. All right. There's no shenanigans going on between them. All right. And, the, and Rahab. There's nothing like that at all. What they are doing is obviously looking like foreigners if they get spotted. And the best place for a foreigner to look like a foreigner is somewhere where there's other foreigners near the gate of a city in a hotel like this, where there's people coming and going and coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. And they can stay in this, that place and listen to the chatter that's going on in the, in the town. And they can get a feel of how people are feeling in that place. Right? So here they, these two spies, we don't know their names, but we know the name of this prostitute, which, which should make our ears prick up a little bit because there's something special about her that we need to listen to. All right. So they stayed with her. It says, but then someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy at the land. So apparently it wasn't a secret. Either they were really bad spies or, you know, someone ratted them out. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab. So he sent soldiers to Rahab and they knock on the door and they say to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Bring them out. You don't get that anymore. All right. In our society, what happens if there's a drug bust? Do they go, knock, 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 bring out your drugs? They break down the door and they make themselves at home and they find what they need to find. But in this culture, it's actually really wrong to do that. It's a sanctuary. Your home is your sanctuary. And everyone knew that. In fact, it was almost superstitious in a wrong way for you to enter into someone's house without their blessing. So there's a story in, in Sodom about Abraham and Lot. 
and, and Lot is living in Sodom and these bad guys from the town come to Lot's place because he's got some people staying there and they say, bring out the ones that are staying with you. Bring them out because they don't have any right to go into someone's house. And so even these soldiers, they don't have any right. And so they knock on the door and Rahab opens the door. Hello, boys. And they say to Rahab, it's business, not pleasure tonight. Bring out the, bring out the spies, right? And so Rahab then spins them the biggest lie you've ever heard. She says, or they say, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. Bring them out. All right. And then she says in verse four, yes, you're right. The men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town of, at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry up, you could probably catch up with them. So the king's men went looking for the spies. <laughs> like, she could probably really spin some yarns. And they believed her. And so she's watching them run off, probably on their horses or something, you know, chasing after the spies. But it says in verse 6, she actually had taken the, the spies up to the roof and had hidden them beneath bundles of flax that she had laid out. Now, we don't use flax, I don't think, anymore. But basically, it's some kind of a plant that they get um, a reddish kind of dye from and they just leave it up on top of the roof. Now, on her roof, it's not like your roof and my roof. It looks like a triangle. It would, it, she lives on top of, a, on top of a, a, a wall and the top of her roof would look pretty similar to the top of a wall. And it'd be a place where there'd be a lot of sun. And so she'd put them up there. She'd hide them underneath these piles of flax. And she would, apparently, not only was she a lady of the night and ran this kind of establishment, but she was also involved in some kind of fabric dye business. All right. So she was, she was one of these, one of these women who she didn't need anyone to help her. She could do it herself, right? She was like that. Uh, we don't know why she did what she did, by the way, as a, as a, as a prostitute, but we do know that that's what she did. All right? She's mentioned as that multiple times throughout the Bible. And even after she's following God, she's mentioned as Rahab the prostitute for a reason. Now, I think it's got to do with grace because Rahab has a lot to do with faith. But I think the reason why she's mentioned by the Holy Spirit through inspired writings that she's a prostitute is because of grace. God wants us to see that it doesn't matter how low you are geographically, like Jericho was the lowest city, but even socially and um, yeah, socially, if it doesn't matter how low you are or sinfully, it doesn't matter how low you get, we all need grace and we all get saved by grace through faith. Think of grace as a massive ocean, right? And the way to, to the ocean is through the river of faith. There's no other way to get to the ocean except through faith. And Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. We're saved by grace, God's unmerited favor and kindness to us. It's not, we don't deserve it. We, we can't earn it. We can't pay him back. We can't even become even a little, just a little bit better so that he doesn't have to give us 
so much grace that that other person needs. We all need the same amount of grace. And the only way to get that is through faith. Rahab shows us what faith is. So Rahab hides these spies. She lies about it. Is it okay to lie? Not always. Not always. Good answer. <laughs> you know what? There's actually a couple of instances. There's actually a lot of instances in the Bible where people lie. Like David, for example, he, he misled some people by drooling out the side of his mouth, pretending like he was some kind of insane person, right? He got away with that. Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah, said, that's my sister. Lots of people lied about it. Don't let me... Yeah, oh, there's always consequences for lies. I'd love to talk to you about um, um, Judah and Tamar, but it's just too risque tonight, okay? But there's some, there's some deception going on, right? But what happens is, Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good of, yeah, together, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All right? So here is a woman who we find out actually that she loves God and she seems to be called according to his, God's purpose for this particular season and this particular moment. And so God's using all things about this woman, right? Her job, her deception, her um, the job as a prostitute, her job as a, a scarlet yarn maker, all of this, right? God's using it all together, right? And this woman, um, she hides these men. So the king's men went looking for the spies, yada, 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 right? Uh, and verse 8, before the spies went to sleep that night, this is scene two, right? Scene two of the story. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. This is what she says to them in verse 9. I know, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. Can we just stop there? Because when the Lord made a path through the Red Sea happened 40 years ago, right? In, from, from when she said this, 40 years of, we remember what you guys went through. We've heard the stories. We're, we, our hearts are melting in fear because you guys just walked through the Red Sea, for goodness sake, and the whole, like, the most powerful army in the world was chasing you, and the Red Sea just collapsed over the top of them. We're, our hearts have been melting in fear for 40 years, right? For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And, she says, we know what you did to Sihon and Og. I hope I got your names right, boys. The two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. It's actually funny because Sihon was a king of a, of a town or an area that Israel just asked him nicely. They said, look, can we just pass through? We're not, we don't want this land. We're just going to pass through. Can we just pass through? We won't, we won't let our cattle use any of your water. We won't, like, we'll just leave footprints. That's all we're going to do. And King Sihon, he didn't believe them. So he waged war against Israel. He ends up getting smashed. 
dies, Israel then owns that whole land, and they have to move through again. The next guy, the same thing. Og, same thing, dies. So word gets around that these people that God led through the dry sea, uh, through the, on dry ground, conquered these two pretty, pretty powerful Amorite kings. Word gets around it, and now it says in verse 11, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear, she says to the spies. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I think it's a really cool statement that she just makes there because she remembers, she knows what God has done and she's reminding the Israelite spies about their God. She's showing them what it means to have faith in their God. And, and she says, our hearts have been melting in fear for the last 40 years. Just press the pause button there and go back to the first time when God said to Moses, send your people into that land. And the 10 spies went in, eight came back and said, no, they're too big. Two said, I think we can do it. They should have listened to the two because at that stage, the enemy's hearts were melting in fear already, but they just didn't realize it. How many times have we lived our lives and following God and, and, and he's called us to do something and we, we look at it with our own eyes and we think, we can't do that, I can't do that. But if God's called you to do it, like that family member that needs to know about Jesus, maybe he, God's impressed that person on your heart and you're praying for them, but next time you just want to talk to them about the gospel. But you're like, oh, I don't think I will. I don't think I'm ready. You don't know, you don't know what God is doing in that person's life. You don't know how he is preparing their heart not so much melting in fear, but preparing it for you to talk to them about God. We don't know what God is doing, but he's always working behind the scenes. And it takes this pagan prostitute from another country to tell these Israelite men what it means to have faith in God. And you know, she says, he is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now, I think there's a lot of people out there that believe in God. They believe that he is the supreme God in the heavens. He is God in heaven. He is, he is his creator. He is supreme. He is transcendent. He is all, all powerful. In fact, there's lots of religions out there that, that believe in a God like that. But this God, she says, your God, the Israelites' God, your God, my God, he is the God not just of heaven, supreme in heaven, but he's supreme on earth. He's actually supreme on earth. And he's able to do things on earth that you and I can't do or don't expect him to do. Sonia and I were away last weekend and I took Sonia out for a fantastic dinner, a really nice dinner. And, uh, and I didn't expect to um, come away with much change at all from, from the meal, but I wanted Sonia to feel special. And as I went to pay for the bill, the guy behind the counter, it's a fancy place, he said, I just need to tell you that your bill has been paid for already. The, la the lady sitting behind you has paid for your bill. Like two thoughts crossed my mind. Wow, that's amazing. And, oh, I should have ordered the dessert. <laughs> <laughs> like if I, hadn't known, if I hadn't known that she was fixing up our bill, she didn't know what it was going to be. It could've, we could have been there all night, you know, drinking whatever. And, you know, it could have been thousands of dollars. But if I hadn't known what... If it was being, I would have probably gotten more and more and more. See, we don't. We look at God like it. We kind of think, oh, God's not able to do more than what I could dream or imagine. 
you know, he won't really come into bat for me. I mean, he probably doesn't even notice me. And we think like that. Another time when Sonia and I, picking on Sonia and I, when we, when we came down here in, um, to Victoria from Queensland, we had to get some papers signed by a JP. And this is when we were living, we were only here like a, a year or something. And um, we were really just praying to God and seeking him for direction for why we were, were supposed to be living in Victoria. Because we know he called us here, but we're not exactly 100% sure why he called us here. So in the meantime, we've just met with other Christians and we've started a church and whatever. And we met with this JP to sign some documents. And at that point, on that day, we were just really struggling on, you know, if we were supposed to be in the right, if we were supposed to be here, did we listen to God wrong? You know, did we get it wrong? All the doubts and stuff like that. Anyway, this guy signs our documents for us. And he says to us from behind the glass, you know, thing, he says, this is pre-COVID. And he says, I don't usually do this, but um, I'm not just a JP, I'm also a psychic. And I've just got this real strong sense to let you both know that you are where you're supposed to be and you're doing the right thing. And I thought, I don't know where you guys sit with that, but look, if, if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak through a prostitute, like he can speak through a psychic. And for us, that was the Lord really speaking to us. And sometimes we... Sometimes we expect God to do things and not expect him to do other things. And so here we've got two spies going into to Jericho, expecting that they are part of the solution. And they find this woman who actually has the solution. She already knows what the solution is, and she actually tells them what the solution is before they can ever tell her what their plans are to bring on a solution. Let me explain that a little bit more. Have a look in verse um, eight, no, nine, right? right? Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. This is what she said in verse nine. She said to them, I know the Lord has given you this land. I know the Lord has given you this land, right? And then I want you to look now a little bit further down. In verse 18, the Israelite spies are responding to, to Rahab and they say, when we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down and all your family members, if they go out into the street, da, da, da. if they betray us, however, we are not bound any oath. Um, except that, oh, I missed, I missed the point. Oh yeah, sorry, verse 12. Um, we're up to verse 12. So she's just said to the spies, God is the supreme God in heaven and on earth. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live. And then, so they say this to her, we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Sorry, it's verse 14. They say, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. She says, 
back before, I know the Lord has given you this land. Way back in chapter 1, the Lord God says to Joshua, See, I have given you this land. Go and take possession of it. Can you see the difference in tense there? The spies don't realize they have the land. But she, a pagan prostitute from another country, says what God says. You have the land. I know you've got it. And I want in on that. I want in on that God. That God who has not just got up there in someone's mind, in someone's theology, but a God who, in someone's life, in someone's practice. She's been watching probably from her window and watching this pillar of fire come down at night upon the camp and the pillar of cloud come down upon the camp during the day. And she's watched the Israelites going out in the morning, picking up stuff from the ground and putting it in baskets and eating it. And quails just coming in. But it was there, it was there that God stopped feeding them that way. And they started making their own food. But she's heard about the stories of what God's done in their life practically. And she wants in on that. And so she makes this promise with the, with the spies. The spies say, right, leave this red cord sticking out your window. And when we come in, your house and everyone in it will be fine. Your house and everyone in it will be fine. And so there's three chapters later, right? You can, you can read the story about how the Israelites go around and around the city. Now, I used to think that they went around the city six times and on the seventh time they blew their trumpets and then the walls fell down. But they actually went around the city 13 times in total. So six days, once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, they went around six times, nice and quietly. And then on the seventh, seventh time, everyone shouted, walls came down. Guess which part didn't come down? Rahab's part. So anyone who was in Rahab's house was alive and not touched. And meanwhile, the Israelite army would go in and pillage, sack the whole place, right? But anyone inside her house was fine. Because she had a promise with the spies and they saw the red scarlet rope. And I see this beautiful red scarlet rope. I don't know how long it was. How, how long do you think it was? How many floors up it was? Yeah, that's right. She let him down with this rope, all right, or a similar rope. Okay, it could, it could have been a few meters. I actually think it's actually quite, quite a number of um, hundreds of years long. If you, if, you if you read the first chapter of Matthew, let's do that. We see, we see here in Matthew, the first chapter, we won't read the whole chapter, but I want you to notice a particular person in this chapter. Uh, because you see what happens is Rahab and her family get saved from this destruction of Jer Jericho. She and her family become part of the Israelite community as believers. She marries a guy called Salmon. They have a little baby called Boaz. Boaz marries a lady called Ruth. Boaz and Ruth have a little child called Jesse. Jesse gets married to, I can't remember his wife's name, but they have lots of boys. One of them's called David. David ends up being the king of Israel, Judah. And then all the way through, another, like David has children and children and children. And like, I think there's about 38 generations down from David, we get the Messiah, Jesus. 
But here in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, it says, Salmon was the father of Boaz, in brackets, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. All the way through this genealogy, it's usually men being mentioned in a Jewish genealogy. But occasionally there's a woman added in. And there are some shady women added in this genealogy. And it's just a picture of God's grace. In Hebrews chapter 11, we see she's a picture of faith. In James chapter 2, we see she's a picture of faith. But all the way through the Bible, there's this scarlet cord that goes all the way through to the Messiah. And the Messiah bleeds his red blood on the cross so that anyone who puts their faith in him, in his house, in his father's house, will have a place of safety. So when that Joshua, when Jesus comes back one day and destroys all the elements and takes those who have faith in him to heaven to be with him forever, that will be, that'll be the beautiful day when that Joshua comes and brings salvation through his blood for all of us. I see this beautiful picture of God's grace and all he requires of us is faith. There is a, a, the one, one point where Jesus is talking about um, prayer and he finishes with these words. He says, when the Son of Man comes back, which is when he's going to come back one day, will he find faith on the earth? He's not looking for titles. He's not looking for how much stuff we've done for him. He doesn't care what theology we have or what philosophy we have or what doctrines we have or, or anything. He's just looking for faith because we are saved by grace through faith. This not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And Rahab, thank you, Lord, for Rahab, that she is a picture to all of us, that there is no depth we can go. If we have faith in a God of heaven and earth, and we can be saved. Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us, your mercy, your grace, your amazing grace. And Father, we thank you so much that you have a place for us in heaven one day, if we trust in the blood of Jesus and apply it to our own lives. And so, Lord, we come to you now. We know we're not perfect. We may not be as imperfect as Rahab, but before you, Lord, all of us are just as imperfect as her. But Lord, we come to you, Lord, help us to have the same faith that she had. We've heard about you. We've seen you at work in people's lives. Now have your way in our life. Forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Help us to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness that we, we need for our sins, Lord God. Help us to trust him to be the Lord of our lives. And Lord, help us to bring people into our lives, into our homes, to save them too from, from what's coming. Lord, give us the strength to have faith like Rahab. In Jesus' name, amen.